0: The Hub is a community. Manuscript,
1: book, and print cultures, stamping problems. You are
0: listening to a podcast by the Trinity Long Room Hub Arts and Humanities Research Institute. The Hub is a space celebrating 10 years through the
1: community. Created by the world. Coral Zilla. Change. The Hub is about impact. The hub is, about the hub is for everyone. Good evening, everyone. My name is Daniel Faz. I'm based in the Department of Sociology here at Trinity College Dublin. I'm the convener and director of the research theme Identities and Transformation, which is one of 19 research themes we have at Trinity College and one of five that is based at the Trinity Long Room Hub. And what we do is we do research, uh, we teach. So for example, we have developed over the years a, a master's program in identities and cultures of Europe And we do outreach activities such as the one tonight as part of the Trinity and the Changing City lecture series. This is our flagship lecture series that has been running for its third consecutive year now. And we have had a whole variety of events uh, for those of you that uh, logged on and followed us on our previous events. And uh, it goes back to the um, um, premise that Dublin has been transformed by the economic crash, the austerity measures, and more recently, uh, COVID-19 and the subsequent lockdowns um, uh, as well as wider issues of course such as displacement and migration to mention but a view. The city's built environment and economic, demographic and linguistic mix have all developed a pace but these changes and their relationship to issues around education which we'll be focusing on tonight but also religion and the environment, poverty, health, housing and governmental policy all of which we focused on And will be focusing on in other events have not generally been well represented in the media or in public discourse. There is therefore a gap between the city in which Trinity resides, not least in terms of language, race, class, and the images and narratives of that city put forth in the broader culture. The lecture series Trinity and the Changing City will seek to address uh, these gaps, bringing scholars um, in the arts, humanities, and social sciences from Trinity and further afield in discussion with key stakeholders, practitioners, media representatives. So these panels are um, highly um, uh, diverse, multidisciplinary and involve academics as well as non-academics and have been uh, conceptualized like this over uh, recent uh, years. Now, tonight um, we will have uh, Kieran O'Neill chairing the session uh, for you. Uh, Kieran is based in the history department and is an expert in 19th century history. He's interested in cultural history, the history of education and elites, the Irish relationship with empire, modern Irish literature and public history. And he's also, um, for the last uh, three years, he has been uh, the Community Liaison Officer for Trinity College Dublin. So without further ado, uh, I wish us all um, uh, a fruitful and uh, very lively and interactive evening and I hand over to you, Kieran, uh, to take us through our key speakers for tonight. Thank you very
2: much, Daniel. Uh, Good evening, everybody. You're all very welcome. Um, My name is Ciaran O'Neill. I'm lucky to serve as Deputy Director of Trinity Long Room Hub, who are hosting tonight's seminar on Zoom. Uh, It gives me great pleasure to uh, chair this important session about the interrelationship between the education system, social class hierarchies, and systemic inequality in Dublin and by extension in Ireland. To tackle this issue, we've brought together three fantastic scholars and writers for this talk. I'm going to introduce them and then uh, say a few words to frame what we're here to talk about. Um, so you'll see uh, in the box below uh, Dr. Dr. Jan Skopek, who is an assistant professor in sociology here at Trinity College Dublin. His work is very much at the intersection of academia and policy, and he has worked in the past with the State Institute of Family Research at the University of Bamberg in Germany, as well as at the EUI in Florence. Uh, the next speaker would be Dr. Delma Byrne, uh, an Associate Professor in Sociology at Maynooth University, specialising in social stratification and the sociology of education, who also has a policy background from her years working uh, with the ESRI as well. We're also joined tonight by Joe Humphreys, an author and assistant news editor at the Irish Times newspaper, author of the Unthinkable Philosophy column, um, and he has been an engaged and critical voice in Irish education, for many years. I should mention that we were due uh, to hear tonight from the uh, brilliant Dr. Alina Courtois, who's senior lecturer at the University of Bath. Uh, her work on Irish elite education has been eye-opening in recent years. Uh, Alina is on parental leave and we congratulate her on the arrival of her newborn daughter, Juliette, who came into the world about a month ago. So before I hand over to my speakers, I just wanna say a couple of words that give us some sense of why this is an important topic. Uh, Inequality is historically constructed, and it's generationally reproduced. Uh, The introduction of free secondary schooling in Ireland is usually referred to as a a key moment in the 20th century, but it certainly didn't deliver an equal education for all Irish people in practice. In more recent decades, we have seen initiatives like the Breaking the Cycle initiative in the mid-1990s, transforming into uh, more recent and current uh, initiatives like the Delivering Equality of Opportunity in Irish schools or DESH initiative. At university level, the biggest change in my lifetime was the free fees initiative from which I myself uh, benefited. But this also delivered very little in terms of changing the demographic of university entrance. Currently about 7% of our students at secondary school level attend 51 fee charging schools in Ireland. And these are subsidized in Ireland through teacher salary and other schemes to the tune of about 90 million euros. The majority of those elite schools are here in Dublin, where also many Desh schools are clustered. This disadvantage or inequality follows students all the way through their life. A quick glance at this map produced by Aero at Maynooth University, Um, sorry, this is a a Trinity map uh, provided by uh, TA21, but uh, it shows you a, a breakdown by postcode in Dublin of progression to higher education in Dublin. As you can see from a glance, if you're familiar with Dublin City, as many of our viewers will be tonight, just the scale of the problem. It shows an educational attainment pattern that is completely divided and spatially divided as well. There's a clustering of attainment in South Dublin in stark contrast to areas in the west and the north of the city. And we can see the same pattern using the census data. So the inequality in Dublin is stark when it comes to education and social class. We have schools in suburban Dublin charging up to 24,000 euros a year for day pupils in a city where we have 220 schools identified as disadvantaged and their pupils uh, and teachers alike uh, labelled under DESH. This is our society and it's our city. So the question for tonight's speakers to consider is what, if anything, should we or can we do about it? I'm going to turn to the speakers for uh, some answers to these questions. They'll speak for 10 minutes each and in the order I first introduce them. So Jan first, Delma next, and ending with Joe before returning to a general discussion. Uh, attendees at tonight's session will notice a Q&A function at the bottom of their screen. Please do uh, type in your questions there. We'll get to them in discussion which should be at about uh, seven forty 740 pm seven forty-five pm and we aim to close at about 8 pm so let's see what our three speakers make of the problem uh, over to you jan first
3: so thanks kieran for the wonderful introduction i hope everybody can see that uh so um uh, first of all, an excuse, um, I'm not Irish, I'm not socialized uh, to Ireland, and I'm also not really an expert for Irish education, but what I think I could contribute is a bit more cross-national perspectives on the aspect of um, social class or a social background, family background in principle, and educational inequality. And what, what I'm going to briefly talk about, I'm going to briefly present some some partly more recent evidence on social inequality and in education achievement and i'm focusing here on on the question when does it actually start so when when in the life course of the people does this are uh, actually the, the achievement gaps uh, open up between different social classes or children from different socioeconomic background um, <clears throat> and what can be done about it um, So that is, of course, I don't want to set the bar of expectations too high here, but I think there is some social policy uh, perspective uh, that that could help in uh, alleviating inequalities from the outset. Um, first of all, a few clarifications when I talk about educational achievement. This is this is one aspect of education. Um, one of many and um, social inequality in educational achievement is one aspect of educational inequalities. Achievement basically or the notion of achievement emphasizes the uh, idea of learning outcomes or educational performance. uh, And that stands in contrast to attainment. Sometimes people uh, call attainment more the institutional certified aspect, institutionally certified aspects of education like uh, grades, degrees, and so on, I'm going to talk about achievement here. Achievement is an important prerequisite, of course, of attainment, yeah? um, in, particularly in skill-focused education systems, as we have nowadays in modern societies and labor markets. Also, achievement has separate effects over and above uh, uh, grades and degrees on labor market outcomes, as literature can show. We would also speak about inequality of educational opportunity if achievement or if there are achievement differences by the social background characteristics of kids so children um so because so to the extent that there are differences due to predetermined circumstances there could be also migration background we would talk about these gaps in achievement or differences in achievement also being educational inequality aspects in terms of opportunity. Um, Achievement gaps also substantially drive social class differences in educational decision making when it comes to school choice, for instance, track choice in in certain countries or subject choice, uh, maybe uh, like in Ireland, and educational attainment. And Typically, achievement is measured through psychometric tests, yeah? uh, math tests, science tests, reading tests that, that capture literacy in these, in these subjects. Uh, very briefly, I don't have much time to talk about the theory, so so educational sociology has, has, has a lot of theory about how uh, social class background, so also which aspects of social class, yeah? there are multiple aspects, so social origin or social background is a multi-phase concept actually, there's education of parents, there's income, there's wealth, there's occupation status, all of that so- sort of relate and partly differently uh, to aspects of socioeconomic status. Uh, and these, uh, these um, uh, family characteristics are through various channels related to child development in general and, and skill formation among children. Uh, and these might also interact with education systems. Uh, many of these theories like family investment, family stress, Emphasize the importance of parenting. So it's not only about schooling. So so schooling is one aspect or one source of inequality. A lot of inequality is actually in in in, uh, in the families. Um, okay. Here you can see first, some, some, just some orientation here. This is uh, from some of my colleagues that we have done together in, 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 a, in a larger research project that analyzed achievement gaps in a comparative fashion, looking at various countries in Europe and, and, and the world. And what you can see here is basically um, a cross-sectional analysis, um, competencies at age 15. Uh, that is, uh, this is pooled PISA data, more or less. Um, And you see that um, the more red or the darker red the color is, the stronger are the inequalities by parental education as an indicator for social class or socioeconomic uh, background of the children yeah so and actually what we can see here first of all is that in all countries there is inequality yeah so so inequality is nothing that is specific to to ireland of course yeah actually we also see that ireland is not faring that badly uh, in in comparison with other countries so when we look at PISA data we see that Ireland has actually improved a lot in terms of education or equity, in terms of equity of educational outcomes when it comes to reading and math skills and so on at age 15. So also you see that, that, uh, that Ireland is a bit lighter than the other countries. Yeah, You see very strong inequalities here in the center of Europe, you know, like Germany, where I'm from, and the eastern part of Europe. Um, so cross-national uh, variation a lot in that concept as well. Um, but this is only cross-sectional evidence um, so there's a snapshot so the, the, the large question is that also I that I want to address here a little bit is when does that actually start in life And uh, that is a very complex thing uh, to uh, mm-hmm to answer, oh, this is very complex to study that you need excellent data and uh, you need very, very good measurements, very many measurements over the life course. Fortunately, we had that in a German study, the National Educational Panel Study, where we could look at really an extended period of the early life, actually from infancy, from the first seven months of age up to age 16, how does, how how is um, um, Achievement, here understood as cognitive achievement, and also here, here meaning earlier markers of cognitive achievement. How is that related to social background characteristics, yeah. um, here we, we classified here children by having low, medium or high educated parents. And what you see is that um, Here, uh, um, that that inequality starts very early. So these these gaps in achievement between different social classes seem to emerge very early in the life course. They are pretty small in the beginning, but they emerge uh, pretty quickly in the early years of life. And then what's also important here to see is that they are largely developed just before or right at the start of school it's not just before the school entered or the kids entered the school system you have already a lot of inequalities you know? and then during the school system or during the school years actually not so much is happening we were principally in principle surprised by that result because we have thought that there will be large increase in inequalities uh, once children enter school, but that's actually not the case. We checked that with other countries. So we replicated it partly in other countries and also looked at some complementary evidence from the US, here is the UK and Netherlands and US. You see basically the same pattern. So these inequalities in education achievement, relative inequalities at least, remain largely constant and stable yeah, and emerge very early. Um, another important question is, what is the nature of these inequalities? Are they very robust or are they, um, let's say, um, are, are the cards shuffled anew every, every single time you measure or is there some malleability, or is, um, uh, are these achievement gaps uh, so to say v- very, very much um, determining later gaps? So we, we were interested to which extent later gaps in school, later, later inequality in school is actually a function of inequality that is already there before children go to school. Yeah, so and here you see two extreme scenarios. No? And actually, what we found when we uh, look for estimates on that, we found that roughly 50 to 80 percent of the gaps in school are already determined by the gaps when the children start school. So they're explained by earlier inequalities. No? Um, that's a quite important finding. Or or or. Uh, uh, aspect of these inequalities because it means that those inequalities or a large part of what we can see in school and the inequality that is experienced in school is actually caused by processes before school. So uh, it also means that a substantive part of inequalities that are generated before children enter the school system are carried into the school system so we shouldn't blame the school system for everything um, what is then actually a role of school uh, or school systems of schooling? That's a complex story as well. Um, so there are basically two arguments uh, out in the literature and educational sociology. First of all, education is a big equalizer. Yeah? Uh, also historically, uh, the introduction of mass education in the 19th and 20th century contributed to a lot of equalization. It was uh, uh, introduced for reasons of creating more equality among citizens yeah, in emerging states. So education has ever been, in a way, an equalizer. Um, also in the more, more modern times, um, education is known for fostering social mobility. Uh, you can see that among uh, college graduates, for instance, so social mobility is very, very high. Uh, and that's not only due to the selection effects. Um, then there's the other notion that schooling per se, so when you look at school kids um, in school age, um, school provides environments uh, or an environment that is way more standardized than, than environments at home. So the counterfactual environments at home. So therefore also schooling per se actually acts as an, or can act as an equalizer because you put kids that come from very different homes suddenly in more standardized environments. So that, is, that has been um, uh, uh, called the equalizer aspect of, of schooling. You know? Um, also, results show that um, that equalizing is probably most effective in the early years. On the other hand, though, school is also school systems are also strong systems of stratification. Huh? Um, so, because schools create. Categorical inequality in the sense that they create certain educational categories, like for instance, um, certain educational tracks or ed- educational programs, academic programs versus vocational programs, for instance, and then assign kids uh, um, to these different categories. Yeah, so they act as sorting machines, uh, and for for all of that sorting, achievement is very important. So uh, the quintessence is here that we. W- when we want to reduce inequality, we also need to reduce um, these vast gaps in achievement that emerge very early. And that brings me actually to my final point. I hope you still have the time to, to, uh, to make that. that uh, there is mounting evidence that the early years are, are, are very important. So experiences um, and environments of children in the very early years are pretty formative for their life. You know, um, there's also very, very good experimental evidence that changes in these environments can have long lasting effects on, on children's aus- outcomes, you know, positive effects when you when you change, when you give children better environmental opportunities. Um, so what I wanna say is here that both targeted and universal early childhood and education care programs are pretty promising. Um, and this is still a f- field of quite intense research. Um, So, first of all, the question is, where are these these benefits come from? So, where do they come from? They come from because you are improving the environmental quality of children. uh, And 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 therefore, also, uh, research shows that most of the time um, beneficial effects are concentrating on the lower segments of the socioeconomic hierarchy. Uh, so, So, children from more disadvantaged backgrounds can benefit a lot from high-quality um, early uh, education programs, yeah? and here on the right side, you see it's uh, we don't have. Enough time to go in all of these t- details, of course, but what you see here intuitively is a, is a gap reduction score. So the higher the score here above one, the, the higher the potential of a particular reform that has been analyzed here in, in reducing the gap. So that comes here. This is evidence from a meter study, from a large meter study that looked at a lot of experimental studies on universal ECEC systems. Yeah, and actually found that. Uh, a good amount, not all of it, but a good amount of these programs that have been analyzed actually could uh, reduce achievement gaps or acted in a way that would reduce achievement gaps between children because most of the time, children from disadvantaged families benefit more from these treatments. Um, the reality is unfortunately that uh, there is strong um, um, discrepancies in participation of uh, universal ECEC systems, which are most prevalent in, uh, in, in Europe. And here you see, you, don't, don't, you not only see differences between countries in different age groups here, for instance, you see a lot of differences within countries. So, uh, when it comes to the differential uh, utilization rates by um, uh, income groups, for instance, as you see here in the slide, yeah, you see here that uh, in, in all countries, high income groups have higher utilization rates than low income groups. It's particularly severe, by the way, Ireland is one of the extreme cases here, yeah, where you really see a stark difference in the utilization rate of. Um, uh, of early childcare, yeah, formal center-based care, uh, early childhood education care services, um, as compared to another extreme case, maybe Denmark or even Sweden is also very, very, very egalitarian in terms of participation. Yeah, bottom line. So I've, I finish <laughs> uh, for a moment, and we can then have the rest for the discussion. Then, um, social inequality evolves very early in the early uh, in the in. The, in, in in the life course in the early years, social inequality in uh, achievement. uh, What we can see here is of course, harbingers, uh, early markers of of educational inequality is large already at school entry, and then remains more or less stable and or or only increases slightly occasionally uh, during the years of schooling. So when children actually navigate through the school system. Uh, Also important and substantive part of that Inequality, inequality, we observe in school life, you know, for instance, like in the PISA data at age 15, is actually determined already by the entry of school you know, because these, uh, these inequalities have certain path, dependence, uh, path dependencies, uh, obviously. Schooling itself is not powerful enough to compensate these gaps, you know, uh, as we can conclude, because we, we, we see that the gaps actually remain more or less unchanged um and these social gaps on the other hand in achievement create constantly unequal opportunities also because you know sc- students are students are sorted in school systems into different educational routes and pathways and so on so these things have real consequences in some countries uh, earlier in some countries later you know, for instance in germany t- children are tracked by age of 10 to different schools to different uh, uh, educational tracks. And this is pretty harsh. It's highly stratifying you know, at a very early age. Um, and, f- and and finally, there is this potential of uh, high-quality ECE easy, easy programs you know, that requires, of course, social policy, a lot of uh, social policy um, for combating social inequality and educational opportunities. The problem is, of course, that you have very unequal you have a good potential but you have very unequal participation rates so this is actually the puzzle for the social policy yeah how you can tackle that um so how can you how can you make children from more disadvantaged backgrounds benefit more from these positive effects that are actually there okay i leave it with that thank you for your attention
2: okay thank you Jan. we'll move on to delma
0: okay i'm just going to share my screen now Okay, can everybody see that? Yeah, thumbs up. Okay. Yep. So, okay, I'm just gonna have to reduce this. Okay, so the key issue as has been clearly outlined is that education is both a mechanism through which social class inequality is reproduced, but it's also a mechanism through which social m- mobility is realized. So it has a dual function and I suppose that's a key contribution that sociologists have brought to our understanding of how education works. And social stratification is a feature of many societies, so social class inequality and how that plays through the education system is not unique to Ireland, but some countries are more successful in reducing social class relativities than others. So what I want to do is just give you an overview of trends in education with some reference to Dublin and with some reference to uh, Ireland more generally, And then really try and build in a discussion of maybe some of the factors that contribute to a reduction in social class relativities, as evidenced by the research literature, so the literature conducted in in the Irish context and also beyond. So if we have a look at Dubliners, I mean, well, Dubliners have the highest levels of education in the country. But as we can see, there's quite different uh, education profiles across different even local authority areas in Dublin. So you can see that some areas have much higher levels of higher education um, levels, so have much higher shares of people with higher education levels than others. So we're looking at the two extremes there. The, The bright blue are those with low education levels and then the, the light gray are those the, the share of those areas that have higher education levels. And anyone that lives in Dublin would be familiar with these patterns or would have a good sense maybe of how and why this graph looks like this. And I suppose one of the key issues that Karen brought, uh, brought to our attention there was the diversity, I suppose, in educational provision across the city. So here we can see the percentage of schools in Dublin uh, within each area. So for the state, we see that, you know, 22.3% of schools in the whole of Ireland um, are dash primary schools, or of all, of all primary schools in the state, 20, about, what's that, uh, one-fifth are dash, primary schools, if we think about all the secondary schools, which are the orange column, we can see that just over a quarter of all secondary schools are debt. And then if we look at the the grey, we can see that about 7% of schools in the country, secondary schools, are um, fee paying. So when we break that down by local authority area in Dublin, you can see that there's huge uh, variation. So there's varied educational provision across um, each of the local authority areas, and this kind of gives us a, an insight, I suppose, into the complex choice processes that operate when parents are choosing schools for, for their children. So clearly in some school contexts, there are more, much more advantaged school settings compared to other, school, other local authority con- uh, con- contexts. Um, And I suppose this really highlights, I suppose, the role of the state and how they see um, educational provision playing out. And I suppose it's up to the state to decide whether, you know, there's an equal provision of education across each area or not. Um, It also highlights the role of parents and particularly active school choice on, on behalf of kind of more educated parents as well. And that ties into constructions of how parents and society determine what is a good and what is a quality education. And then if we look at, you know, um, if we think about the city in terms of deprivation index, so here we are looking at um, the share of all HE, so we're looking at everybody who went to higher education. In 2017 18. So we're looking at all new entrants, I think this is, or maybe it's everybody. So I've picked out, you know, the main HEIs in, in Dublin. So uh, we've got Technological University, Dublin City University, DIT, IADT, NCAD, uh, UCD, Royal College of Surgeons, and unfortunately the, the data is not available here for Trinity College Dublin. But you can see that the, the deprivation index or the degree of affluence or deprivation in the local area from which the young person lives definitely has a bearing on the type of higher education that they go to. So you can see the Dublin City University and Technological University seem to have higher intakes of working class or more disadvantaged contexts compared to say Royal College of Surgeons or University College Dublin. So it really matters for longer term. And social class really matters for longer term outcomes, including higher education participation and the types of higher education institutions that young people progress to. So if we take a look at the educational health of Ireland, uh, well, we've recently established early childhood care and education sector, and that's really important because lots of other European countries that have achieved more egalitarian um, education systems and outcomes have much more established um, early childhood care and education sectors. So we're really at the beginning of the journey of this kind of uh, early prevention um, and early intervention method. Um, with comparatively high reading scores, particularly in the, in the most recent PISA uh, data, and then uh, moderate to good math and science achievement among 15 year olds so compared to other European countries we've very low rates of early school leaving so one of the lowest rates in the Euro- European Union. We've of the highest rates of secondary level educational attainment of 20 to 24 year olds in Europe and we've really high levels of uh, tertiary educational attainment compared to other European countries. But yet Ireland's interesting because we've relatively high levels of income inequality compared to other European countries and comparatively low levels of absolution relative mobility. And that raises some interesting questions about the education system. So while there are lots of achievements in terms of the educational health of the country, there's also clear evidence that social class inequality exists in education across all education levels. So from preschool up until tertiary higher education and entry into the labour market. And we see social stratification across a range of dimensions that have been examined by sociologists, economists and and others in terms of educational access and participation, in terms of educational outcomes, so both attainment, um, achievement and experiences of schooling, and also clear social stratification in terms of the educational resources that are invested in homes and that's linked quite strongly to um, social, cultural and human capital. And just on the right, I just want to show you that, um, so this again is looking at all entrants, all new entrants to higher education in a particular year by uh, the deprivation, the the degree of deprivation in the local area. So it looks at the leaving certificate points that the new entrants came into higher education with and you can see that achievements, there, there, there are clear differences in terms of, um, for example, the share of students from more disadvantaged contexts that get the higher points compared to the achievements of, um, high achievements of those um, in more affluent areas. So there's clear socioeconomic inequalities in, ter- in terms of attainment. But the big issue is that these social class relativities persist over time rather than reduce. And I suppose this is where the onus is on the education system. So as educational systems expand and as more and more people go on to higher education, as uh, more and more people uh, opt out of early school leaving, as more and more people complete second level education, we see that all social groups experience um, improvement in education levels, but often the relative advantage of higher social class groups is maintained in education. So the level like expansion alone is not allowing, it's it's not leading to a level playing field. And I suppose in comparative terms, Ireland occupies occupies an intermediate position in socioeconomic gaps in attainment. So it's not among the least performing or the best performing countries. It's kind of in the middle, which Ireland often is. So I just want to end now my last few, uh, probably take an extra minute here if that's okay. Uh, Just some points that I feel based on research that's been conducted, On factors that could contribute to the reproduction of social class relativities in education. As I indicated, Ireland is a late entrance to state subsidised early childhood care and education. So it's an early start. uh, An early start is important for reducing socioeconomic gaps, but it's not a panacea for creating a level playing field for all young people. So it's not the only option. Even um, Heckman, who came up with this in the first place, argued for a balanced approach to educational investment over the life course. and The second would be to, for policy to adopt a flexible approach for educational institutions to reduce inequality, so particularly in contexts context where there is high levels of um, disadvantage. So of course the approach could be guided by national policy. But it could be flexible in delivery. So that means that schools or higher education institutions or early early childhood care and education settings or further education uh, institutions could be supported by local initiatives and supports in the local area where those educators can adopt creative strategies. The downside is that some elite educational institutions are more likely to respond or are less likely to respond to this type of autonomy than others. Thirdly, there is a clear need to remove institutional mechanisms that influence student intake or composition, particularly those that discriminate against disadvantaged or low income groups. So we've seen in some areas of Dublin that the school choice complex is very polarised. It's incredibly polarised between the fee paying sector and I suppose the public uh, sector. And this really kind of speaks to the school choice, the whole issue of school choice and marketization of education. But it also raises issues about the DESH scheme and the limits of grouping disadvantaged students in disadvantaged schools. There's a greater vision of what a public education system really means and there's a role for housing policy. Fourthly, there needs to be improved access to the curriculum at all levels of learning. So streaming, tracking, and ability grouping can limit the opportunity structure for disadvantaged young people, particularly at early ages. uh, We also need to reduce opportunities for processes of effectively maintained inequality by by diversifying subjects, subject levels, and institutional types. And there's a need to adopt affirmative action policies until it's no longer required to help support those who are more disadvantaged. And then finally, uh, equitable assessment is, is kind of a big issue as well, re- moving away from high stakes testing, but also addressing the climate of educational institutions. So, inequality is man made, inequality can be, can be changed as well by social policy. That's one of the key um, strengths of social policy. So there's an urgent need to move away from a culture of low expectations and discrimination that often tends to be leveled against some disadvantaged children and young people, which results in stigma and shame. And these effects have been felt by disadvantaged children and young people in education in research that's being conducted in the Irish context. So I'd just like to stop there now and apologize for taking three minutes extra time. Okay.
4: Okay, over to you, Joe. Thanks, Ciarán. Yeah, uh, well, I'll get my apology in for I'm like the old student in class. I don't have a PowerPoint presentation Um, and also after that very forensic uh, analysis from the two, indeed three speakers, I'm going to take a bit more of a scattergun approach to the question of the how question, how to fix uh, inequality. And it's it's obviously a big question, as, as you've all said already, and no one solution is going to deal with the problem. Um, I, I'm going to focus particularly in the higher education end, um, picking up a few of the points Delma uh, has mentioned already. But it, it strikes me uh, kind of there's three general headings for potential um, fixes or uh, uh, measures that can, that can improve the situation. Sort of technical fixes uh, will be one heading. Uh, one would be promoting diversity, combating segregation, and then a, a broader thing of, of cultural change in Irish society. Um, that might uh, help matters. Uh, the technical side you would have thought would be the easiest um, in theory, but uh, of course the, the theory goes out the window in Ireland because of the influence of the uh, immovable object that is the Leaving Cert, where, which stands above the Irish education system, um, uh, and if you like a lot of schooling is directed uh, and channeled into this uh, one goal, if you like, of the education process as we've set it up. Um, a, a question we really haven't discussed in Ireland is how fair is the leading cert. Um, that often falls back on the, on the claim that it's an incorruptible exam, it's an anonymous exam, and as a result that makes it a fair exam. But we've already accepted that it doesn't produce fair outcomes and we've seen some of the data there uh, that Dylan has shown about the um, breakdown of students that go through to college. But we, we actually this summer ran a kind of experiment because without the, city, uh, the um, exams this year, we uh, produced a a mechanism for um, creating the same outcomes that we would normally have every year through the market. Uh, Only this time we created an algorithm, a kind of a formula through Department of Education, where you would have had um, school profiles uh, producing a similar distribution of results. Um, And that was uh, rightly taken out because people felt that was very unfair. I mean, a question that, that would be interesting to ask among researchers is, is would it have been taken out if there wasn't uproar in the UK over the same proposal? Um, I suspect it would have stayed in the Irish context. But in any event, it was taken out um, uh, because there's an acceptance that, that, that uh, a, 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 a sort of a man-made uh, distribution like that would be unfair. Um, but by extension, we should set the argument that, that uh, the same distribution through the market is unfair. So I think that's a starting point. We should be asking Is how fair that is the leaving cert. Uh, how do you make it fairer? Um, I think one method had been touched on there already is, is to broaden the method of uh, assessment within the leaving cert. Um, it's it's an exam or a, a means of assessment that's easier to gain, gain, I should say, with resources, particularly through grinding your way to success. Um, if it was to measure other things that uh, didn't depend on added resources, uh, you know, measuring things like critical thinking, communications, other sort of skills outside of um, the largely uh, memory test that it, it is, uh, it, it, would, um, uh, it, it might have an, an, um, uh, an advantage in terms of combating inequality, but obviously there'd be educational benefits to that too, and um, I mean it should be noted the review the senior cycle is underway, so it's an important juncture uh, at the moment to, to influence that debate Um, Another technical fix is around the um, the CAO, and there's been tinkering around this before, but only very mildly, Uh, and there's a positive role here for for positive discrimination, um, and we should be having that discussion in Irish society. Um, I mean, the question, a basic question here that might be asked is, who is more deserving of a college place? Is it a student, say, who finishes 20th in a a class in a fee-paying school with, say, 500 points, or is it a student who finishes maybe second or third in a class, with 400 points in a disadvantaged school where the students are starting uh, far behind uh, the students from the the better off school um because the, the, there needs to be acceptance that people are not starting on the same uh, starting line in the competition we've set up for them so so that's one uh, kind of broad if you'd like to say technical area um uh, uh, the, the other heading i think we need to kind of discuss is uh, promoting diversity and combating um, segregation. And a lot of the policy measures in this area, the policy focus in recent years, in schools has been creating diversity of patrons, um, as though that amounted to uh, inclusivity, or uh, that was the end of the the agenda. But there's been very little discussion around diversity in schools, or very little effort to promote diversity within schools. Adelma noted herself there around the concentration in desh schools of uh, disadvantaged children in those schools, and it's um, another sobering statistic is around uh, the very small number of schools um, that have a very high proportion of uh, immigrant children or children uh, whose parents might do English as, as a first language, and uh, there are a lot of schools which have no immigrant children or, or children of minority uh, groups, and, and that's another stark. Statistic, And I think this needs to be, I, I think it needs to be measured within the Department of Education from a policy perspective um, and schools if, if need to be rewarded for being more diverse with more resources or and some, other, some other mechanism and those which aren't diverse to be penalised, uh, I think in some form. Um, I think in tandem with that, because we often talk about kind of policy as, as, as coercion, um, I think one thing we need to do in the education sector more is sell the idea of diversity. To parents in particular, um, uh, I think people in the business and academic world and other fields are very familiar with the argument that diversity helps organizations. Uh, it helps the people within those organizations, helps make better decisions, gives people a more rounded outlook in life, and we, I think we need to bring those arguments into the educational field. Um, you know, parents really aren't preparing their, their children for the real world by uh, you know, closeting them in groups of people of the same mindset. Um being educated as a homogenous group, or the same gender, the same background, same colour, the same accents. Uh, it's, it's, not, uh, it's not giving them uh, the best education, um, and I think education could potentially play a, a bigger role in developing that argument in terms of the benefits from uh, being educated in a more diverse setting. Um, but uh, So I think there's, there's some carrots there, I think there's some possibly some sticks that could be wielded as well onto this Kind of general area, uh, including to try to disincentivize private schools. Um, uh, there is a co- the issue, the controversial issue of state supports for private schools and whether they should continue at the same level. Um, things like tackling the old school tie rule, the um, prioritisation of children of past pupils uh, in private schools, which is really part of the economic rationale for them. And if you were to to uh, to ban that, which has been proposed, for instance, in the Labour Party. I remember, as Bill, and there's been attempts to have it before introduced, uh, um, that would potentially uh, at least help to erode the, the, the economic um, rationale, as I say, for, for such schools. I mean, one approach that I don't, don't think has really been tried enough and could be developed more is sort of tackling patrons or indeed shaming patrons about their, their ethos. Um, I mean, Kieran would have a, a view on this as well, I'm sure. Uh, in terms of some of the uh, patrons, historically played an important role in, in developing Irish education. The Jesuits, for example, were heavily involved in educating the Catholic, uh, the future sort of professional class from, from the Catholic population uh, to, to replace the British administrators. But you know, that, that served its purpose maybe a century ago. But, uh, but today, it's, it's perhaps something of a contradiction um, that the, the, the Jesuits are training largely an elite to carve up the good jobs in Irish society. Uh, so you, you you'd wonder um, uh, what even Pope, uh, Pope Francis' fellow Jesuits would make of this sort of um, role that the the order plays in Irish education. I think those sort of debates we need to have more of, and, and challenge people about challenge people in education about what really is their ethos when they, when the, that word is thrown around <coughs> in a school context. Um, the, the last issue I'll I just mention, uh, and I'll let people get on with the discussion. Um, is the cultural change, and um, I think we're kind of all a bit wary of, of um, replanning Irish society. Education is a slow area to change, generally it's quite a conservative area, but I think there, 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 there are changes going on in Irish culture at the moment, and one thing I feel uh, we sort of need to kind of address is this ideology of meritocracy, um, because we, we, a lot of educational reformers will talk about marketization of education um, and a good reason there's worry around uh, that the, the market influence on, on schooling from primary right up to, to uh, higher education. Um, but I think um, it'd be difficult to dismantle the, the kind of choice-based model, to, to dismantle the market influence on, on education entirely. But I think it is possible to tackle and build an alliance um, from left and right, uh, politically, against meritocracy. Um, you know, specifically, this idea that rewards should follow talent. Uh, and those who jump through specific hoops, whether it's the CAO, the Leaving Cert, and that those who don't manage to make the grade or don't manage to uh, get recognized as, as talent as such, um, uh, are, are, are um, largely left behind in society. Uh, and there's, there's, a, I mean, the, the British sociologist, Michael Young, who originally um, developed a kind of theory around meritocracy, um, feared the, 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 the class system the in the UK was going to be replaced by one where you'd have this um, high rewards for uh, people uh, who, who were uh, deemed to have uh, marketable talents. Uh, and also the, the, the knock on effect that they would feel uh, they rewarded or they, they deserved their rewards. Um, and those who, who were uh, benefited less would feel somewhat like losers in society. And in the way his warnings, uh, in the post-war era were um, having realized today and we're reaping the, um, the whirlwind uh, politically of allowing meritocracy to become, in, to, to, to become a kind of guiding ideology. And the and parties of the left are particularly uh, guilty of allowing that to happen, the Labour Party in the UK and the Democrats in the US, uh, for instance, selling the mar- meritocratic dream uh, constantly to their uh, bases. So um, I think, uh, That's sort of the main points, I would say, in in a sense. um, uh, One of the things, maybe a a final point by time, just to say in in tandem with that on on, uh, the the need to make success in life perhaps less dependent on a university degree, which again, it's a bigger issue beyond uh, equality in education. I think that's um, a final area that that warrants attention uh, and it may mean investing more in things like uh, further education uh, apprenticeships, uh, because not everyone is going to be able to go to college, and uh, uh, making um, uh, those sectors more desirable, and not in a not in a uh, um, I should say in a meaningful way, making them uh, 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 as as good a path as as going to uh, university is an impo- is important for a whole whole uh, range of reasons. Um, so I think. Um, So inclusion, anyway, I'd I'd, I'd say, I wouldn't say that that what I'm touching on here is an exhaustive list. Um, uh, I haven't even mentioned, I think Jan has spoke about early intervention, measures that need to reverse uh, cuts from the austerity era uh, contributing to that, but um, uh, I think uh, we can make society, we can make the education system fairer, even if it can't be uh, fixed entirely, and that um, uh, progress at least can be made on a number of fronts.
2: Okay, Um, thank you Joe and thanks to all three speakers. We've covered an amazing amount of ground uh, there. We've uh, touched on all sorts of elements and keystones that make up inequality in Dublin and in the education system. We've exonerated the education system of the ability to fix all of our societal problems. I think that's really important and was really accentuated by our first two speakers. We've touched on fee paying sector. We've touched on school patronage as an issue. We've touched on the dreaded leaving cert, which of course we'll need to discuss a little bit more, I think, judging by the excellent questions that are coming in from our online audience. And please do put more in there. We won't be able to answer them all tonight, but we will have a stab at at clustering a few and answering them as best we can. I I wanna pick up on the last point that Joe makes here and, and really throw it over to Delna and Jan. The question to which meritocracy can be, in some senses extracted from or rolled back from within the Irish education sector more generally. That seems to me to be a really compelling question. Can we reverse the ideology of meritocracy? Do you guys think that's a really good place to start? So Delma, Jan, please do jump in.
3: Um, so, so when you talk about meritocracy, so uh, I hope that I could show that a little bit when we talk about achievement, for instance, we have to see that this, this is not entirely meritocratic right so so that that process starts extremely early so not, nobody would would held, I don't know a, a five years old kid accountable for their lower achievement. Um, with regard to uh, to um how we can change these things i mean i completely agree i mean early education certainly one one aspect and and social policies need, certainly need to look at the entire societal context i mean actually you need to start very very much on the on, on the overall social inequality aspect there are not only educational inequalities you know, you, know, you would also like to reduce inequalities between families first, you know, um, to avoid uh, large gaps and in, in, in conditions to emerge for children to grow up in. Uh, and also, I mean, uh, some social policy literature would, of course, suggest that you need to win the middle classes for your ideas if you, if you want to have political coalitions that are powerful enough to make changes. You only address Labour Party, you would not get a majority. You know? um, so, so the point is, well, the question is how can you sell your your ideas to store to, uh, to the middle classes so because they see themselves as the meritocratic guys you know so they, they 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 benefit from from all this meritocracy that you were referring to and uh so you need to get them in the boat somehow politically i'm not a politician but but, but yeah. i think this is this is a very important aspect
4: i think there is a way of selling that i mean i think uh actually Michael Sandel the political scientist has written a book about this recently the tyranny of merit uh, and one of the things he points out is that the children growing up in this meritocratic society, society are often very stressed very uh, depressed because they they find it very hard to keep up jump through all these hoops so by the time they get to college they're burnt out they're they're feeling uh, potentially like failures even if they manage to succeed so um, it's not good for a, a number of reasons I mean that's uh, one of the arguments, but I think w- one of the things where you can build alliances is, is by taking a step back and asking how deserving are, are we for any of the advantages, whether natural advantages of uh, abilities that we are born with, uh, you know, good genes or whatever, you know, we're not necessarily deserving of higher rewards in society just because we're lucky to uh, have, a, have a good um, natural advantages. Any more than we're deserving of, of these much greater rewards by, by having social or economic advantages. So I think we need to broaden the debate right out to bring in people from the fields of health, disability sector, uh, right across society to kind of uh, ask this, this fixation on merit, this notion that merit is um, a fair way of distributing rewards in society. Uh, Santelli says himself says that uh, it's treated, you know, often by the left as a, as a cure for inequality, but it's the meritocracy is really just a justification for inequality.
2: Delma, um, I might ask uh, just there's a couple of kind of uh, questions. I think you're best positioned to answer coming in from, from some of our audience. Uh, the first is a uh, just a practical one as to whether uh, why TCD data wasn't available on your slide. You'll probably be able to answer that one pretty quickly.
0: Um, well it comes from the higher education authority so on, on the report they indicate that uh, tcd doesn't collect uh, data at the on students addresses i'm not sure daniel might know more about that but i think it's it's indicative of you know it's strange that we have a system where some systems, you know, some institutions are collecting that data, and we're trying to put together a picture of, you know, social inequality. When you know, at the same time, some institutions don't. So I, it it's just there as a point, really.
2: Okay, and uh, so Dolores asks whether, um, oh, sorry, no, I beg your pardon. Uh, Eve Patton asks, and this is a, again one question, probably best directed to Delma. Um, to what extent does a pervasive and paid grinds and remark culture accentuate inequality around the leaving certificate? Do we have any data on that? Yeah,
0: there's there's mixed evidence on this. You know, there, re, there really is mixed evidence. And I suppose we're, we're still waiting on, you know, the benefits of longitudinal data to really let us know what exactly is going on. So expect to see quite a few longitudinal studies of grinds coming out of Ireland soon because the, the data is just about ready. But the cross-sectional data by, by Emer Smith, who Emer analyzed it and she actually finds no benefit. It's more a selection into grinds. So who is getting grinds? Well, the people who are getting the grinds are the people who can afford the grinds, aren't they? Do you know? So it's more, it, it's, it, it's another mechanism used to secure and maintain class advantage, I would say, rather than um, actually Ob- obtaining advantage if you know what i mean
2: okay a question from niall martin uh, which is about access points into third level uh, i think Niall, if i can paraphrase your point it's that you need a phd to be able to negotiate these alternative <laughs> pathways into third level uh, that it's it should really be in some senses more publicized the pathways and also those pathways should be simplified would any of the the panel like to comment on that
0: but well, I would just like to say, if you are on social welfare and you were trying to negotiate those, they're even more difficult. Because once you get the intersection of housing welfare, social welfare, and education policy, they're like cogs. Every time policy moves, your right to access education or not shifts. So it's incredibly complex for those who are on, you know, getting back on their feet, low income, or, you know, trying to, trying to shift gears. Um, but yeah. I would
2: agree. Um, A question from Thomas Dempsey. I think I'm going to direct this to Joe uh, because it it sort of comes from a point you were making about the leaving cert, which is how does the COVID-19 problem in the country, um, how has it exposed kind of uh, inequality? You know, even more so, has it made it more open? Did the leaving cert debacle over the summer and the controversy that arose from it did that really highlight something that we really can't unsee? I suppose.
4: Yeah, well, I think it, it has as I say, made, made visible some of that uh, inequality that we, we accept. Uh, I mean, there there are there, I guess there's a lot of concerns ha- highlighted by a number of academics around how uh, the remote working is impacting a remote um, education, I say, or, or, or and the broken education you've had during the pandemic is going to impact on disadvantaged schools and the evidence would suggest it is. So I think we need to prepare for that as well. And it goes back to Some of the more grassroots um, measures that need to be taken, you know, we need to kind of be uh, getting the resources in to to make sure that people don't slip behind, that we get the supports in the early intervention uh, focus needs to be there um, for schools that that are more potentially uh, going to be affected, because undoubtedly there are going to be schools greater affected than others in this pandemic. Yeah, absolutely, yeah.
2: Mary Diskin sends in a, a great uh, question on desh schools. So how does one deal with the negative effect that social uh, societal perceptions have on desh schools? And how has this serious implications for expectations of those who might be learning in those schools? Uh, Delma, perhaps, I think for this one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it kind of works in, in, in mysterious ways. Sometimes people think, oh, I want to send my kid to a desh school because they've got lots more resources. And then other people think, oh, I really want to stay away from that local desh school. And unfortunately, the 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 later um construction of that de- schools tends to be a bit more prevalent. So I mean, like, you know, I absolutely agree. I mean, death schools, I mean, the gains, the gains that they're making are slow, but there, there is some evidence to suggest, you know, that achievement levels and mm-hmm attainment levels in DASH schools are improving a little bit, do you know? Um, but yeah, it absolutely frames the, the, it frames decision-making by parents, and it has huge, huge implications for those schools and, and the young people that go to those schools as well. Um, because I think the construction of DASH schools, and that's that's why I would have a concern about the limits of, um, you know, setting up schemes to concentrate disadvantaged children in disadvantaged schools, but at the same time, I think about, you know, 45% of disadvantaged young people are in in DESH schools in the Irish context. So it's kind of in around the European average, but typically, I mean, OECD policy is saying, you know, you shouldn't be ring-fencing in that way.
2: Okay, uh, a couple of more questions. I'm going to push us on just for about five or six minutes more, just because there are questions coming in, and I think they're, they're really good ones, if that's okay with everybody. Um, so uh, Elena Shah uh, has asked two questions, uh, one of which is about um, internal schemes at universities. So she uses the example of uh, the Foundation Scholarship at Trinity, uh, recently made even more famous, I think, by normal people uh, on TV whether schemes like that reproduce inequality could those schemes and grants be reformed to be equalizing within I was interesting i, I think I, I should probably speak to that as a, as a trinity representative we do have an ongoing cyclical internal conversation about that it seems to me every every couple of years and there are lots of people within the college that that have um pointed out that foundation scholarship may not be serving uh, you know a sort of a, any sort of a democratic or equalizing purpose and i'm i'm one of those um but it it, it uh, certainly comes around for debate constantly within within the organisation. So the other question that Elena asks is for Delma, which does that uh, exist on the equalising or stratifying effect of city planning and housing schemes? How do these kind of social factors feed into to, to the system?
0: Yeah, when I was preparing for this, um, I was surprised that at, you know the limits of um, there's very not there's very not, there's not much um, urban and education, sociology, really, in the Irish context. You know, Karen, like, clearly, you know, you know lots more about it, you know, looking at um, other contexts as well. Like, it's a real gap. It's a real gap in the Irish context. So, I mean, I I had begun to kind of look through administrative data sources, but it's a a much longer uh, project, I guess. But there, there could be the data there to try and provide some kind of an evidence base.
2: Okay, so I I want to bring us back maybe to the universal and and think about that big question we posed at the beginning, which is, you know, what can be done about it? And I was really struck by Jan and Delma's presentations in that, you know, you were both really arguing for the limitations of what systems can do, and that gain should be incremental. And I think that's absolutely, you know, valid and worth hearing, uh, absolutely. But if we were to think or focus on on things that could change um, and could change in the relatively sort of short to medium term, so my, my question then is what could those things be um so yeah i might start with you and then work down to Delma and joe just on the, the bigger yeah. oh
3: okay thanks karen so uh, my internet connection is a bit unstable i hope you come across um yeah i mean it's it's so it's it's a very complex debate, and we are not the first ones talking about it but um i would say my impression is that one should not Expect too much from educational systems because systems are very uh, inert in a way. It's very hard to change systems. I'm, I'm coming from a country that has the most stratifying education system, Germany, and it has essentially not been changed or for decades. Although here and there they are doctoring around in in, uh, in 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 particular aspects, and maybe that's a way to go. You know that you that you try to within your system try to identify what works good and what works bad. So, so, so what are the good things that you try to keep, and what are the bad things that you try to step by step somehow to mitigate and eliminate? And um, in the research portion I, w- I was involved in, and there were a couple of people, particularly educational researchers, they, they, they always, um, let's say, or more and more emphasized the importance of the local level, yeah? what you can do at the local level of agency, at the school, what parents can do, Parents can interact with the school. So so, so look at at these things. Don't, don't look at the larger system too much because it's very difficult to change. Um, and as, as I said before, and uh, or mentioned before in the discussion with Joey, I mean, these are all good, good aims, but you would never get political support for that unless you really change the argument. So that's appealing in a way to the middle classes. Um, Okay, okay,
2: terrific. Delma, well, well, that's great. I think change is local. I, I think that there's certainly something to be said yeah. for that.
0: Yeah, I would agree. I think change change at the local level as well. I mean, I, I'm a believer in you know, kind of small movements can can result in bigger things, but in education it's a slow process, it's a slow burner, you know. Um I mean there there are there there are improvements in Irish education for sure. There are progressive developments, you know, there, I mean, we used to talk about the uh, how education was, how class relativities in education were increasing. And we're not seeing that so much anymore. Like we're more concerned now with the maintenance of class relativi- relativities in education. So change like is possible. Um, but I think a number of these different aspects you know, that that we've all highlighted tonight can all work towards progressive change in education, absolutely.
3: If if I maybe uh, uh, may add to to what Delma just said, I think this is very important to have a long-term perspective on that. And what is also extremely important that some countries show, like for instance the Netherlands, I have a lot of colleagues from the Netherlands, and in, in, in the Netherlands they put it somehow at the extreme this sort of monitoring data-driven decision making was also important to have data on these things and uh, they there are very good approaches as far as I've seen in Ireland and growing up in Ireland study with what the guys from the ESRI are doing but we need also data to talk more evidence based on these things otherwise it's just speculation about inequalities and it's, 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 it's very broad. We need very precise and good data. So this is also a call for, for more research in a way.
0: And we need well, qualitative. Like you all, you, I mean, you know, for me, like I'm, a, I'm somebody who does mixed methods. I do qualitative and quantitative. And I think you just can't get beyond the human experience. So what all this actually means, you know, to individuals to social groups in society, their everyday interactions in society, how society positions people, and that helps us reframe what is a public education system, what is the role of education, if we have a public education system, which we don't really in the Irish context, it's largely owned and managed, you know, by Catholic interests, but if we did have a truly public education system, what would that look like?
2: That's great, thank you, uh, Joe. I'm going to hand the last soapbox moment to you, and then hand back to Daniel to bring this session to
4: a close. That's terrible. I, feel, I feel like I've been on the soapbox the whole time, compared to um, much more uh, factual kind of statements from everyone else. But uh, no, I mean, I just I make the point that I think it's, it's said in a number of other debates that you know we're at a particular moment with the COVID pandemic. Uh, a lot of things are up for grabs, and uh, this discussion around what you know what is an acceptable level of inequality in society uh, why are people in frontline jobs being paid uh, one wage and people in uh, unproductive uh, work or, you know or less valuable work being paid? Yes. but all these questions have been asked and in the education sector sector I think um, the whole question of fairness uh, you know we can re- we can relook at that and I think I think parents are and and, and wider society is open to persuasion I think um, one thing that parents are, are, are mad about is, is often the, the choice that's there and the competitive pressures that are on parents and uh, children and I think one can work with that as well to try and um, make this a win for everyone.
2: Okay thank you very much to all three speakers and uh, before I hand over to Daniel just to note a huge note of thanks to The Hub for hosting this a really interesting and enlivening session and to Francesco Rafferty and Aoife King, who do so much valuable support to make these things possible in the evenings. Daniel, over to you.
1: Thank you, Karen. And just to echo my thanks to everybody involved, fascinating presentations, very engaging questions from the audience as well. It's always good to have more questions from the audience than we can potentially answer in in such a short uh, webinar. All that's for me to say is that on Thursday, the 18th of February, 2021, At seven o'clock, we'll have the next installment in the Trinity and the Changing City Lecture Series. And the topic will be migration and its artistic representation. And that panel will focus basically on the artistic representation of refugees and direct provision. So until then, stay safe, stay well, until we meet again. Uh, good night. Thanks a lot. The Hub
4: is a community.
1: Manuscript, book, and print cultures stamping provenance towards the history of the time seen, of the Year Library.
4: As well as being heard. Okay. The Hub is a space.
3: Contemplating
1: Ireland through the communities created by cultural change.
4: The Hub is about impact. <laughs> the Hub is for everyone. <laughs> the rise of feminist and not
3: Here's to the next 10 years.